So before we get going this morning, we're going to end our series in growing uh, what it means to be a healthy church member by looking at being a growing disciple. We're, we're done with this series. Uh, I like to go on a lot longer with it, but uh, we need to move on. So let's pray together and we will uh, study together. Father, thank you for the worship time that we have had. We, we just are excited to be here, Father. And I know that sometimes we get very busy and maybe we're worn out from Black Friday and Black Saturday and getting ready for Cyber Monday and, and we're just kind of wore out with the season and all that's coming. And, and Father, there's so many families that are being afflicted with sickness this, this very morning, this weekend. And so I pray, Father, a blessing upon everyone who is here and those who are not that we may take this season and remember the reason for it and that we can start with that this morning and we can have this heart and this attitude of joy. Joy that we are together as a family, joy that we can worship you, joy that our sins are forgiven, joy that heaven is our home and joy that you continue to watch over us and grow us and you care about us. May we just be so joyful in that knowledge. We thank you for your word this morning. Speak that you will, we pray that you will speak to us through your word and change our hearts, Lord. Change who we are in our thinking and in our character as you grow our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, in 2006, there was a, a research that had come out. And you know, sometimes we say, what are these research grants really all about? And what are they studying? And this one was about ants. I'm going to talk this morning a little bit about a research study of ants. And uh, I got a picture in just a moment. Oh, there it is right there. Um, the species Timnothrax albipennis. Now, that's, that's Latin, I believe, for big brown ant. I'm not sure. But this is who they are. And there was a study done on them. And it was a study done on efficiency. And it showed that worker ants sacrifice time and efficiency in order to teach other ants how to find food. Obviously, they're feeding a whole colony of ants, and a few go out to find food. And so what they found was that one of the females goes out, she often chooses another ant to accompany her. So they kind of go two by two, so to speak. And if the second ant doesn't know the way to the food source, the leader, now get this, teaches the other ant through a process called tandem running. And as the teacher ant runs along the path to find the food, the student follows behind and often stops to locate the landmarks, becomes familiar with where they are. That's what the student does. And then sometimes the, the teacher has to stop and the student ant has to get ready. And then when she does, she runs up and, and they found that the, the teacher ant would stand there and wait and the student ant would come up and kind of tap her on the legs and they'd move on together. Can you imagine that? Now, of course, that's amazing that God created that. But what can we learn from that? Well, you know, this process is extremely beneficial for the students because ants participating in tandem run, running located a food source in an average of 201 seconds, while ants searching for food on their own took an average of 310 seconds. In other words, 35% longer. So there was a definite payback by teaching the student ant how to find food one-on-one, -on -one, two by two. The process, however, was detrimental to the leader ants 
because they found out that they could have traveled four times faster by themselves to get to where they were going, but because they had to wait for the, the students to catch up, they were slowed in their own process of finding food. And you all know where this is going, don't you? So why do the leader ants sacrifice their time and efficiency to teach others? And according to the study leader, he said this, they are very close related nest mates and their society as a whole will benefit. There's a greater good for the whole if some take others with them on their journey. And now you all really know where we're going, don't you? What can Christians learn from ants? Well, I hope this morning that we learn that it's not a process to be on your own as a disciple. And you need to be following someone, somewhere, somehow, in your, in your journey as a disciple. Let's review a little bit about the attributes of a healthy church member. That's what this uh, series has been about. Looking at what are those attributes, what are those qualities, what are those things that you could say, all right, if I want to take an exam of myself, which we're supposed to do, by the way, examine yourselves, to see if you're in the faith, Paul said. So if I'm going to look at a healthy church member, what does that mean? And we found out that it doesn't mean I just come on Sunday mornings and I'm very faithful attender, although that's part of it. And it doesn't mean I'm just reading my Bible a lot in my quiet time in the mornings, although that's part of it. We found out that there are some other things that I have to be concerned about if I truly want to be healthy church member. I have to be an expositional thinker. Remember, we talked about that. I have to listen to the passage that the preacher or the teacher is talking about and try and find out what it is that, that they're trying to say. Not what does it mean to me immediately. What is the passage trying to say? We should all be learning our Bibles that way, too. Letting God speak to us through the passage. I need to be a theological thinker. We should be desiring to know more about who God is through everything that we do. We need to become gospel-saturated. The gospel of the saving news of Jesus Christ needs to be so saturated in who we are that when something happens to us and hard times come and trials come and that life just starts to wring you out a little bit, what, do you, what, do you, what rings out of you? The gospel. An understanding of who I am in Christ, an understanding of who Jesus is and his purpose in my life. We need to be genuinely converted. We need to understand that crossing over from death into life is a supernatural act. And that once I'm part of this new family that God has placed me in, I'm committed to it. And finally, I need to seek discipline for those times when we fall outside the will of God in the see sin and things going on in the church. So that's the review of the last six messages. If you've missed those, I encourage you to go back and listen to those and all the uh, inserts that go with those. So this morning we're going to look at this. Final thing. A healthy church member is a growing church member. Now for Baptists, that can mean something a little different, right? Because we eat an awful lot. But we don't want to be talking about that kind of growing. We want to be talking about growing spiritually. There is a connection between a healthy church member and the health of its all-over membership, the healthy church and all of its members overall. There's a relationship between that. As the members are healthy, so the church is healthy. There's a connection between each individual church member's well-being and their spiritual growth and discipleship. 
So here, here's the thing. A healthy church member is a growing disciple. We're going to talk about that this morning. What is a growing disciple? You know, one prominent church pastor said that the most chronic problem facing churches and Christians today is the lack of consistent spiritual growth and progress in discipleship, quote, unquote. In other words, Christians just aren't growing. And we're growing lots of numbers sometimes in churches. But are we growing as disciples? Is that the church's most chronic problem today? If you were to look at a lot of churches, you'd say, well, they don't have enough space. They don't have enough building. Um, we need to have an a, a ad campaign to get more pews filled, get more seats filled. Maybe we need a children's ministry. Maybe we need... Uh, you know, some new outreach. Maybe we need to go on mission more. What's the most chronic problem in the church today? Is it really people aren't growing? To to understand that, I think we have to look at a couple different varieties of what happens to a Christian when they're not growing in their faith. Now, we all have that, what I call the spiritual rut. Y'all ever been in a spiritual rut? It seems like a dry season, you know, and and, uh, just nothing's happened in your spiritual life. We all have that. It happens from time to time. We reach this plateau. We seem to be plateaued in our zeal. We just can't get excited like we used to or not like we want to about God. Our knowledge is not really increasing. We just don't really feel like serving. Maybe we we feel a little bit burned out. We're just not growing. Maybe we get stuck in some old routine. We need to change up the routine, right? Sometimes that happens. We need to change the routines up occasionally once in a while to jumpstart us again, kickstart us, if you will. Sometimes we just need to stop and be quiet and be still in our relationship with the Lord and let him focus our hearts again on him. That's normal. It's temporary. Shouldn't cause us too much alarm. That's the normal pattern of a Christian in this walk. But then there's this thing called the chronic problem. That's what we want to look at this morning. When there has not been growth in your spiritual life for a long, long time. And the problem is not just being stuck somewhere and you need to get unstuck. The problem is actually that we've been settled into a certain way of thinking and a certain way of following God and a certain way of growing that has just resulted in our stagnation. And I fear that that is what is happening in so many churches and in so many Christians today. They're just stagnating. They're just treading water. They're just doing enough to get by. And I come on Sunday morning, and I read my Bible occasionally. Maybe I pray once in a while, and that's it. That's all I do. That's all I have time for. And the problem is this. Growth and the expectation of growth is not the expectation anymore. The expectation is, I need to attend this, I need to check that, I need to give here, and those are my, that's my religious life. Sometimes pride gets involved, where I've maybe been in church for a long time. We all know people like this. Maybe we are people like this, where I don't need to really hear that anymore, don't need that Bible study anymore, don't need to go to that prayer group anymore. I've done all that, been there, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of past that right now kind of know everything I need to know. I do everything I need to do. That's prideful. 
And in this very individualistic world we live in, this very privatized world, probably goes unnoticed because we're probably not spending that much time with our brothers and sisters so that our lack of growth is revealed. Because we've got a whole bunch of scripture memorized. But just having a scripture memorized does not mean I'm growing as a disciple of the Lord. Now what we need to get out of this chronic problem that I think is prevalent in so many Christians in the church today is that we need a correction of what we think is right, expectant. We need a clarification on what it is we're talking about. And finally, we need to understand our calling. Those three things. See, I got those three C's in there. See that? So what is the first thing we want to talk about? Correction. We need to have our our expectations changed about what is normal when it comes to discipleship because we should be advancing and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It does not end because I've graduated from some school or I've been through some Bible study or I've reached some certain age. You don't just stop learning about who Jesus is. Spiritual maturity and and the expectation of it as being going forward to go get it, should be an expectation. And in fact, church folk should view discipleship as a lifestyle. Discipleship is a lifestyle. You know, the writer of Hebrews, he said this, uh, writing to some folks who had forgotten that, that discipleship was a lifestyle. He says this, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. Although you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He calls them infants not able to discern evil from good. They're on milk. We've all heard that analogy before. At some point, Christians need to stop drinking milk and start eating more and more meat. In Philippians Chapter 3, Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. Boy, if, if anybody could say that when you listen to us, the Apostle Paul, if he says, I haven't got it yet. He says, I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't got there yet. But I press on so that I may also lay hold of that which I was laid hold of. By Christ. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, let those who are mature think that way. Don't ever think you're there. Christians are supposed to grow and we're supposed to work for growth. However, sometimes that's hard work. And when it comes to spiritual things, we're not always ready to put in the time required for hard work. But we need to change our expectation. We need a correction in our paradigm, if you will. We need to understand that our life is always about increasing maturity. You're never there. You're always rising upward. Those who think this way are healthy church members. Do you think that way this morning? Because those who don't have this expectation... And those who don't think about their walk with Christ this way are not healthy in their understanding of who they are. So we must change our expectations. We must change our paradigms, a paradigm shift, if you will. You say, okay, I got that. I think I hear what you're saying. How do I know if I'm moving closer to that goal that Paul's talking about? How do I know if I'm in a rut or a chronic problem or if I'm just settled into some 
bad routine? How do I know where I'm at? How do I know what to strive for? What does it look like to be in increasing spiritual growth and maturity? And that's where I think we need a clarification. So we have a correction in our thinking. Now let's have a clarification about what it is to grow. You follow me? What it is to grow. And to do that, we're going to look at what spiritual maturity and growth and discipleship is not, and then we'll look at what it is. We're going to look at a couple of passages to help us with that. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Greg, what page is that on? There we go. Page 62 in the New Testament, if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs there. Now, this is Jesus teaching, and he's teaching in parables. He's teaching his disciples, those who followed him. He's teaching them about different attributes and characteristics of the Christian life. He's been teaching about prayer and other things, and he says in verse 9, he says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So remember, he's talking to people who think they've got it all figured out. That they don't need to work harder, that they've already figured out what it means to be spiritually mature, and they had arrived. That's who he's talking to. And he says this, and he gives this parable. And you all know this parable. There's a few few key points we want to pull out of it. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I all know what a Pharisee is, right? That's one of those self-righteous religious people. Back in Jesus' day, they were Jews following the law. They thought the law could bring salvation. They thought the law could make them right with God, which we know it cannot. It reveals how far away we are from God, actually. And so these Pharisees would become so self-righteous. I do all these things. Look at me. I am justified because of what I do. Why don't you do what I do? And we all be just before God. That's what he's saying. So the Pharisee and then the tax collector understand that, you know, we don't like really IRS folks in our day, right? I hope there's no IRS people here. We don't like the IRS because they collect our taxes. They take from what we think we have and they, they take it away from us or they tell us we need to give it away. No different back in those days because the Romans were the tax collectors. And so if you were a tax collector in those days, even if you were a Jew, uh, you were looked upon as a traitor and one of them. Not a good person to be in that society. So those are the two people who are in the temple praying before God. And the Pharisee stood in verse 11 and was praying this to himself. Key point there. He's praying this to himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. And then just to make sure you understand what the other people are, he lists them. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. 
for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. So what do we can get out of this passage? Three things that I think we can find out. What spiritual growth and maturity and discipleship is not. First, performance does not equal spiritual growth. You know, we are in a, we're in a sports-crazy culture, are we not? Among other crazy things, we're in a sports-crazy culture. And we care about statistics. You baseball fans, you are nuts about statistics. Records. Stats sheets. Uh, we all want a glossy con- or a resume that we can go get a new contract, a new job with, with all these stats and these records about what we have done. We're all about that in our society. And if we're not careful, Christians can begin to think of their walk in the faith this way as well. Look at the Pharisee. He spoke with God, but he was actually praying to himself. Spoke with God about all the things that he had done. He measured his growth and his spiritual growth through observable goals and objectives. I do all these things. Here's our version of that. If we're not careful, we can say, God, I read all of this scripture. I read so many verses a day. I read the whole Bible last year. Look at how many Christian books that I read. Look at my library. Lord, you know how much time I spend with you. Look how many times I shared the gospel out in public. If we're not careful, those things become our statistics that we say this is what makes us a growing disciple. What I do makes me a growing disciple. It's evidence that I'm growing. It's a trap that we fall into. It's a performance trap that we've got to be careful of. Do we do all those things? Absolutely. But we've got to have a different motivation and a different heart, just like the Pharisee needed a different motivation and a different heart, because it's a trap. Because just like the Pharisee, we will begin to think of our sense of growth and our sense of worth in the kingdom is wrongly tied up with our stat sheet. Performance does not equal spiritual growth. Second thing of what spiritual growth and maturity is not, comparison does not reveal growth. You know, when we want to feel good about ourselves, we normally compare our actions to other people, don't we? How relativistic we are in this society. You know, the Pharisee was so proud before God that he was not like the other man. I'm so thankful, God, that I'm not like those other men, swindlers and adulterers. Look at how he compared himself. Even has the the call to look at the guy next to him and say, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not even like that. And here's the thing. If we're not careful, we will all begin to think like that. Can you imagine comparing yourself to the guy next to you standing here at the altar praying before God and saying, man, I'm glad I I don't do the things he does. Thank you, Lord. Because when we want to compare ourselves and, and, and do that kind of relativistic look at who we are and what we're doing, we ultimately have to look at someone else, don't we? If that's what we're going to do. And, and you know what? It just seems like generally we always find someone who, who makes us look what? Always. Why is that? We always find us somebody who says, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. It makes us feel better about who we are. If we need to look at others in an attempt to justify ourselves before God, not only will we not grow, but we fool ourselves into thinking that we are more righteous than we really are. Just like the Pharisee was being fooled. 
And if that's what's happening, um, boy, God's sure to humble us, isn't he? It says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Isn't it better that we humble ourselves first before God has to do it for us? So comparison does not reveal growth. Performance does not equal growth. And finally, personal strength or effort will not cause growth. The Pharisee was mistaken because he thought what commended him before God was the result of his own effort and ability. Not only was he listing his stat sheet and saying, look at that, he was basically looking at, look at my spiritual muscles that got that done. Self-effort is not the source of salvation. We all know that, I think. We know we can't work our way to heaven. We know that salvation is a free gift of God, given by His grace through our faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift of God. He gives us the gift of salvation. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't throw up the stat sheet and say, renew my contract based on this, God, with you. Can't do that. And yet, so many times we think that once we've heard the gospel and responded to it, now we can really start to work hard for God. Self-effort is not the source of salvation. Self-effort is not the source of true spiritual growth. The gospel is the source of all true spiritual growth. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer says, you all need to be leaving that elementary teaching behind, right? You all need to start growing. He says you need to press on in your spiritual walk. He says you need to grow to maturity. And then he adds this phrase in here just to remind them it's not their effort that's going to get them there. He says, and this we will do if God permits. Let that sink in for just a second. God is very careful to remind us that it is by His grace and His grace alone that we get salvation. It is by His grace and His grace alone that we increase in spiritual maturity. Do you believe that this morning? Because if you don't, you're walking a fine line of works-based salvation or works-based sanctification. Paul made that very clear at the, at the Galatians, right? In chapter 3, when he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what does he say? Meganoito, may it never be. In Philippians, he writes to them, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we all look at that verse and we go, Ooh, What does that mean? <laughs> Do I got to work really hard because I don't really know? And then he adds this, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you believe that if you just do these things and you're faithful, that God will work in you? Do you believe that? It doesn't depend on how hard you work, but that you just make yourself available to do the things that God asks you to do. The Bible tells us that our progress in discipleship And spiritual maturity does not depend on how hard we try. It does not depend on how many things we accomplish on our checklist, but instead depends on the grace and the will of God. Are you okay with that this morning? Are you okay with giving up your progress to God's grace and mercy? Sometimes regardless of how hard you try or how much you read or how many prayers you offer up, you're still in the spiritual desert. Is it because you're not trying hard enough? Or is it because it is God who causes 
the growth for his will and for his pleasure. And you've just got to be okay with that. The gospel saves us from the penalty of sin. We're all okay with that, right? I hope. Good news of Jesus Christ died for our sins. No longer the wrath of God abides upon us. We're good with that. We love that part of the gospel. The gospel is saving us from the power of sin. That's the part sometimes we struggle with. Like Paul said, now that you've become saved by what you heard by the Spirit, are you become perfected? Are you growing because of what you do in the flesh? May it never be. The gospel saves us from the power of sin. The gospel is the power of God. The more you learn about who Jesus is, the more you learn about what he's done for you and what he's doing for you in your life, the more God says you're going to grow. You know, sometimes we can, we can grow so fast. We can grow like a, a meteor coming out of the earth, coming down to the earth. We can grow exponentially. Like in five minutes, we can have this great, and then it takes us like six months to grow any more than that. Why is that? I don't know. But God says he's in charge of it. And if we turn that over to him, he will cause the growth in his time and for our good and for his glory. We praise God for the growth of Christians and we pray to God for continued growth. But we know that all of our efforts are completely relying on the dependence of God. I'm going to encourage you to depend on God for your growth more this morning than you ever have. He will change us as we walk with him in faith for the growth that we seek. So Luke 18, some of the things that spiritual growth is not. So what is it then, you say? Okay, well, what is it? I'm giving up here. What is it? Here's what Mark Deaver says. Nine marks. Wrote, wrote all the nine marks. He says, um, working to promote Christian discipleship and growth is working to bring glory not to ourselves but to God. This is how God will make himself known in the world. I love that quote. In other words, as we start to grow, even though we're doing lots of reading and lots of praying and lots of serving, we're doing all those things, what should change in our hearts is that we can be concerned more for God's glory than we are for our own. We're concerned more about what God's doing in the world than what we're doing in the world. Is that where you're at this morning? Can you honestly look back and say, I'm concerned more about God's name, I'm concerned about more about Jesus being lifted up than I am about my own fill-in-the-blank, finances, marriage, children, Job, security, house, presents for Christmas. Am I really concerned more for raising the name of Jesus in a lost and dying world than I am about my own security and comfort as a Christian? That's a hard question to ask and answer, isn't it? The concern for God's glory should be uppermost in our lives as believers. How do we know that we are changing? How do we know that showing our lives uh, reflects this concern to the world? Because the bottom line is becoming more like Christ is the result of spiritual maturity. And Christ lived to glorify the Father. So let's look at another passage to see how can we relate spiritual maturity, what it is, and the positive things we can do. Flip over to John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. Just a few pages over. And we're going to look at what Jesus is telling his disciples just before he went to the cross. He's got some points here that he wants them to get, that we're going to get this morning about what it means to be a good spiritual disciple and how do we know that we're growing. He says in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Get this, I'm the source of all growth, is what he's saying, right off the bat. You want to grow? 
It's in me that you're going to grow. Not on your own, in me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Boy, that's a word we don't use much anymore, is it? Abide. Remain. Let your whole life be wrapped up in. You husbands, abide in your wives. You wives, abide in your husbands. You kids, abide in your parents. You remain faithful and true to everything that they stand for. He says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides and remains and puts his life in me, he says, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We missed that so many times. Apart from me, you can't learn how to pray better. Apart from me, you can't understand Scripture better. Apart from me, you can't live a life that looks more like me. Apart from me, you can't give up the things of this world. Apart from me, you can't overcome sin in your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a message for the church today. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So here's what he says. He says, the key to growth and discipleship is remaining in the true vine in Jesus Christ. So what are the things that we're talking about here? What's the calling that he's called us to, to live out our life? There's a couple of things. We've talked about our correction. We need to change our minds about what it means to be a Christian. Healthy church members grow. And sometimes it hurts to grow. But we're still supposed to grow. It's got to be our expectation. Sometimes it takes work. But we've got to change our paradigm that this is what it takes to be a Christian. And so many of us don't have that. We need to bring along, remember the teacher ant and the, and the follower ant? We need to go find the follower ants and tell them, look, you need to come with me. And change what your understanding is about what it means to be in the faith. And then clarification. What does it mean to grow? It does not mean those things that we looked at in Luke 18. That is not what growth is all about. Here's what growth is, becoming more like Christ. Well, how do we do that? What are we called to do? What are the strategies for growing as a disciple? What does it mean to abide in Christ? And here's what it means. Sometimes folks call this the ordinary means of grace. Anybody ever heard that before? The ordinary means of grace. What does that mean? Obviously, there must be an extraordinary means of grace. And so many times, we're waiting for some breakthrough experience. Do those things happen? Sure. But you can't be waiting for a breakthrough experience. It's not the fantastic that produces growth. It is discipline that produces growth. And so we need to see that he says, abide. First thing is instruction. Abide in me. Study God's word. God's word properly taught and properly understood keeps us connected to the true vine. Not just study, but instruction. When he says, abide in me. You know, the Bible says that there are people that the church has been given as gifts from Christ to help them learn what it means to be in Christ. Who are those people? What do we call them? Given as gifts to the church. 
to equip others, to grow them up to spiritual maturity so that they understand what it means to grow in Christ. What do we call those people? Pastors, teachers, preachers, evangelists, apostles back in the day. So those folks have been given special gifts to lead God's people, to help them understand God's word so that they can abide in him. And, and so at the very minimum, it's a good reason to be here on Sunday morning. Because this is the primary Bible teaching hour right here. This is why you should make every effort to be here on Sunday morning. Why? Because this is when the church gathers to hear God's word so that they can learn how to abide in Christ. Then we have other Bible studies, which are good to be at as well. Hopefully you're sitting under a good Bible teacher when you're doing that, or you're looking for someone to teach you because God has given gifts to the church to help the church grow and study God's word. So it's not just Bible study, but instruction. There's got to be some kind of two-way communication going here. Not only is it instruction, then not only does he say abide in, he says abide in me. Let's not miss that. So not just abide, but abide in me. In other words, I think we have to at some point participate in this thing called the Christian life together. Hebrews 10.25 instructs us not to neglect the assembling together with other believers. Why? Because we have a good time together? Maybe. Something much much more critical is at play here. Discipleship and spiritual growth works essentially and most efficiently just like the ants through instruction and here's a word for today, imitation. Instruction and imitation. Abide in me, Jesus says. Discipleship works best through love in a relationship. Imitation. Christians are imitators, first of God, then of each other. We grow in God's God's grace by listening and imitating. Don't believe me? Listen to these passages, which you've all heard before. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says, look what I do, right? That old say what I say, do what I do. That's what he's saying. The writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look how they live their life and then imitate their faith. Philippians chapter 4, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Peter said, or uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. You know what he says to Timothy? You have walked through life with me. You have seen me grow. You have seen me fall. You have seen me through persecution. You see me in the high places and the low places. Timothy, you have seen everything I have done. I have taught you everything I can. Does anybody in this room have a relationship like that with somebody today? If you do not, then maybe we need to consider what it means to be a growing disciple. Me included, by the way. 
John says in 3 John, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Now, we know evil and good are not just forces out there in the universe. It's people living out evil and good lives. What he's saying is follow someone's good example. Instruction is important. Absolutely. Study God's word under instruction with a good teacher um, and in a good Bible study, a good Sunday morning message, but then imitate someone. Isn't that simple way of discipleship? Instruction and imitation. And I would submit to you that that's very hard to do with a room full of 100 people. You can do some of that, but you can't do that imitation except in very small groups. You want a surefire way to limit our growth? Neglecting to participate in the corporate life of the church or failing to actively serve in it will absolutely limit your growth. Here's the deal. When we serve others in the family, when we bear with them, love them, correct them, encourage them, we participate in in what I would call a spiritual maturity co-op, right? Where the outcome of the whole is greater than the parts that go into it. It's a spiritual maturity co-op that we're in here. And you farm people, you know what co-ops are, right? Where everybody kind of pitches in and everybody gets to put together something and the outcome is a lot greater than if you tried to do it on your own. That's what we're in. The church is a co-op designed to grow disciples. You know what else? It's a friendship. Discipleship sometimes just means simply friendship, befriending others and hanging out with them. But with a Christ-word direction. What do friends do typically? They imitate each other, right? Sometimes it's all imitating one or imitating each other. So in discipleship, we befriend others to grow in Christ-likeness and help them grow in Christ-likeness as well. All right, so you want to learn how to be a disciple? Listen and watch how older Christians work, how they rest, how they raise a family, how they deal with conflict, how they evangelize their neighbors, how they persevere through trials, how they serve in the church, how they fight against sin. You watch older, and I don't mean by age, Older Christians do those things and you go, ah, I get it now when I say work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now I get it. Got to watch them and follow them and imitate them. Finally, not only do we have instruction and imitation, but look in verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me, there you go, right? And my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What is it called when we ask God for stuff? Prayer. Instruction, imitation, and prayer. You're saying, can it be that simple? Is that really the key to Christian growth? Yes, it is that simple. A lot of hard work, a lot of details there, but overall, that's the process. Instruction, imitation, and prayer. Ask. Prayer is not simply doing something we're allowed to do as Christians, by the way. Prayer is one of the great purposes by which God saved you. A little bit later on in verse 16 in this same passage, Jesus says, I chose you that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, in context, he's talking about starting the church. What do you need to do this work I have given you? So in some context, we've got to come back and say, God is not a cosmic genie. We don't rub the magic lamp to get what we want. We ask him for what we need to do the job he's given us to do. Which, by the way, is make disciples. Very good. 
make disciples. Not grow a big FBC, make disciples. Not have tons of, of community uh, organizations, make disciples. Not to get a bunch of programs going, make disciples. Do we do those things to make disciples? Sure we do. But the goal is to make disciples. And we are saved to pray before God to get that done. Think about this. God is so radically committed to our life of prayer. He is so radical and so committed to it that he shed the blood of his own son so that we can come before him in prayer. That's how committed God is to prayer. He shed the blood of his own son so that we might be cleansed and we might be rendered fit, called right to stand before God and say, God, I really need this. Remember what it took to get us in the presence of God to ask for what we're asking for and then put it in context with what you're doing in your life. God ordained and permitted the brutal scourging and killing of his own son so that I and you and we might now in the hope against all hope in this life have a way into the most holy place before God. But remember that when you ask, you're asking through the torn flesh of Jesus Christ. It's the only way you get to ask God for anything. Draw now. Draw near, God says in Hebrews 4. Draw near, he says continually. Pray without ceasing, he urges us elsewhere. Do you not feel the infinite sincerity of God's inviting us to come closer in prayer? Don't you feel it? Especially when you consider what it took God and the pain that he endured so that you and I might enter his presence in prayer. The very nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ serves as the sweetest of invitations to pray. At the minimum, we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Nurturing within us a great desire to come before God in love and do the very thing, praying that he has elected us and chosen us to do. Instruction. Imitation. Prayer. Growing as a disciple. So what's the point of all this? Look at verse 11. Chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. There's no other way to live except that way. Life was meant to be lived with the joy of the Lord. Life that is meaningful, purposeful, and rewarding. Performing the very functions that we were created to do. Love our Creator. Work for Him. Right? That's what the garden. Go back to the story. That's what happened. God created us and said, here's the garden. Work for me. Spread my glory across all the world. And enjoy your life. It is good, He said. Very good, God called it, when He originally placed man and woman garden. Joy of living that life with God. Is that true in your life today? We're going to come in just a moment and have communion with God. We're going to celebrate a meal together through the cup and through the bread. It symbolizes a meal. We're going to share that together. And so I want to ask you, is it true in your life today that the gospel, that Jesus died to cleanse you from sin, to redeem your life, to restore you is it true for you today? 
Because that's why we have communion with God. Jesus saves for sure, not just from the fires of hell, but from the anxieties and the insurity of this life as well. And I pray that you have that testimony today. If you do not, or if there's some reason why you can't take this communion today, then I pray you come up here and talk with me while the communion is going on. So I'm going to ask uh, Micah and, uh, and the guys to come back up, and they're going to play for us. And we're going to participate in this symbolic practice, right? And we all understand that it's a symbol that we're, we're dealing with here. Baptism is, uh, uh, excuse me, Lord's Supper and the baptism are the only two sacraments that we have in this church that represent our faith and who we are. And so the Lord's Supper, the communion, is when we take the bread and we realize that the Jesus' body was broken for us to be here together, to grow as disciples. And his, the cup is the representative of his blood that was shed so that we can go into the very presence of Almighty God. What a symbol we have. What a powerful symbol we have of sharing this meal of bread and the cup together. So I'm going to ask that you pray with me. And then after that, they'll start playing. And you at your leisure can kind of come up, come down the middle and take communion and then go back down the sides. And we'll celebrate this together. So would you pray with me? Father, as we close out this series about being a healthy church member, we come to this place where we strive and press on with an understanding that that is our calling to keep striving keep pressing on. Father, help us to understand and believe and accept that spiritual maturity is something that we work for, but it's not our work that causes it. That we need to be doing, but it's not our doing that brings it. But that through your grace and through your mercy, you change us little by little, image by image, to make us more like Christ. Thank you for the gift of prayer. We come before you now. We bear our hearts before you. As we think about that night before the crucifixion when Jesus broke the bread and he gave thanks for it and he said to them, this is my body, a symbol of my body that is broken for you. And every time we eat, not just here on the first Sunday of the month, but every time we eat a meal together, we remember Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his coming for us. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Again, a symbol of what he was about to do. And that through his blood and through the shedding of it, many would come to salvation for their sins, the remission of their sins. And so we thank you, Lord, for the blood. That Jesus took the penalty for us. What a symbol we have. What a savior we have. Help us to commit our lives, Lord, into growing more like him. Help us to put away the things of this world and the distractions and the things we think are important. Father, and never before are we in a time like we are now that needs Christians to put aside the things that this world says are important and learn to grow and become more like Christ through instruction and imitation of others and through prayer. Please, Father, Help us to see this so clearly this morning as we take communion with each other and we pray.
praise you for Jesus. In his name we pray.